and welcome to this episode of Battling with Business with me, Chris Kitchener. And me, Gareth Tennant. In this podcast, we explore ideas and concepts around teams and teamwork, leaders and leadership and all things in between. It's a discussion between a former Royal Marines officer and a product manager for the world of business, occasionally with guests. We'll talk about that later. Comparing and contrasting our experiences as we attempt to work out what makes teams, leaders and businesses tick. We're always trying to make this the most glamorous podcast we can. And I think this is about the most international podcast we've done. So while I'm in a slightly rainy Oxfordshire, Gareth, where are you today? I'm still in Ontario, Canada. Uh, this is one of those episodes where we've uh, got another fabulous guest. Perhaps you would like to introduce our guest. Um, and also we should delve into what other exotic part of the world our guest is located in. Yeah, absolutely. So we are very delighted to be joined by Pierre Wendelbo this week. Pierre is an entrepreneur and CEO of the Scandinavian Change Agent, and we'll explore what that is in a little bit more detail. But she's got over 20 years' experience in strategy, innovation, and organisational change, and she helps organisations establish the right framework for growth in the face of digital disruption. She believes in the power of empathy and understanding and the human side of change. And for anybody that's listened to our pod podcast, you'll know that almost all of that resonates with the things that Chris and I talk about that we believe in, um, especially that sort of the understanding the human side of change when talking about digital disruption and the fact that technology, whilst on the surface seems like a, uh, a very well, technical thing, actually the impact it has on organizations tend to be cultural uh, and therefore creating the right cultures to adapt to the change in technology is an incredibly difficult thing uh, and something that hopefully here you'll be able to tell us more about today. Yeah, I hope so. So thank you so much for having me on your show. I'm really looking forward to our chat here. I made a big thing of saying that it was all very international today. <laughs> Whereabouts are you located? Yeah, actually, I'm sitting in Spain, so it's quite international, I would say. Yeah. See, I think, look for at sure. this. I think this podcast should be the search for the best possible weather that we can we can have or, or, or maybe the most <laughs> exotic place. Again, maybe we should be sponsored by British Airways. I think I'm too focused on sponsorship today, but there you go. <laughs> well, look, Pia, Pia, welcome. Welcome to the podcast. And it was... You know, obviously, we we do a little bit of research and we think carefully about when our when our guests come on on the on the podcast. And with a name like Change Agents, um, obviously, you're right in our sort of wheelhouse in terms of topics. But but rather than me make a bunch of assumptions about where your areas of interest are, maybe you can talk a bit about some of the work that Change Agents do and some of the work that you guys are most interested and focused on. Yeah, exactly. I would say that, yeah, change is a big word, right? It can be many different things and it actually also is. It, it depends a lot um, on, on the different companies where they are in, in their change journey as well. But one example could be to, to help C-level uh, managers, for instance, navigate change. That's usually uh, some of the stuff that, that I work quite much with. Another example could also build uh, sort of to, to help organizations build sort of this very famous psychological uh, trust. Uh, in remote teamwork, uh, for instance, which is also something that is quite relevant for, for the time being, since we are seeing more and more uh, of this remote work. Um, or it could be also be to incorporate uh, behavioral change um, design into actually supporting the teams in an organization to actually thrive in change and work differently. It was interesting as you were talking about that. So for me, I'm a product manager, and so this is there's sort of a personal interest in this but it's not something I go out and do every day do you yeah. find businesses are focusing on these topics more and more and hence reaching out to people like yourself to facilitate them it, it you know the whole world of consultancy and support is has always been a tricky one but are people reaching out to you more and more do they see the value in these things I think they're starting to see it at least um more and more because there's so much going on I, I would say that within the last five years or something like that, I would say that, that the speed of the change has really gone up 
a lot. And also post COVID, a lot of stuff has happened. So there's even more technology now also with AI and other stuff coming in. So it seems like companies actually really more and more have the need of figuring out you know, how to actually thrive in this change because it's not something that happens now and then. It's a constant thing, right? There's always something new to take in. You as an organization need constantly to figure out how can you keep in front of whatever is going on in there. So so it's it's starting to be more and more of a, an interesting topic. But at the same time, you are right. It's sometimes also hard for uh, a management team, for instance, to to kind of figure out, you know, okay, do we actually need to help outside? It feels to me like sea level, and I'm on the sea level. I'm very lucky. I've been there for a number of years. There's almost this sense of we have to have all the answers. We have to be the people that lead. And so yeah. the idea that you bring someone in, it feels to me like that the, the the first thing that has to be in place is a sense of vulnerability that says. I am comfortable that we can bring someone in and I don't have to be the smartest person in the room. I, I suspect you're not there to tell them things they don't know and could never know. I suspect you're there to facilitate and to augment what they already know. Can you can you talk about your role in that way? Yeah, ooh, I like I like that the way that you're going there. Um, no, exactly. I would say that most of it, it's it's you guys who knows your business, right? So if I come into a, to, to, to sort of to an organization, you are the guys that really knows your own business. So it's more about definitely more about facilitating. And I don't necessarily sit with all the answers, but but I'm good at, at asking the right questions and then navigating around, you know, have you looked at that perspective or that perspective? And then what I also see is that when you are then starting to look into some kind of transformation, usually it, it, um, it starts by some kind of software, new technology or new system you want to implement. And then where, what I often see is that there's kind of a lack of full understanding that the impact of actually implementing this new piece of uh, software or technology has a huge impact of the whole organization, the way of working, the structures, the resource, everything, capabilities. Uh, and that's actually usually what we start talking about because um, that's that's how you actually make a, a successful transformation to to, to really understand uh, the full picture. Well, let, let's dig into that because mm. the, the we've not talked a lot about transformation. We've talked a lot about a lot of principles that potentially can help in transformation. We've not talked about transformation itself. And I I have this feeling, and I, I'm pretty sure you're going to nod when I say this, which is. Most organizations don't actually understand when transformation is about to happen. And, and, and the way I would, would, would manifest that is everyone is comfortable saying we're going to start a project. And they all say oh, we, we, we can do projects and there's a plan and there's, there's, there's a budget and there's people. And in many cases, what they're saying is, yes, all of these things are true, but we're actually undergoing a transformation. And, and the, the term project almost seems to oversimplify the things that need to happen to make it true. So I think transformation, I, I might, this is, this is one of my pet things to argue with people about whether there's more or less transformation there's ever been. That's not very interesting. But I do think that, that businesses really underestimate what it means to transform. As I say, they, they're focused on a small number of things that they that maybe are outcomes or indicators but they don't see the stick. so let's turn this around we've we've invited you in we've told you there's a transformation project you said something which really resonated with me as a product manager which i think is one of those product managers special superpowers is asking interesting questions can you talk about the kinds of questions you might ask when you just start the first meeting how do you kick things off? How do you start to approach this idea of transformation? Yeah, exactly, for sure. Um, as I just said before, uh, usually I really want to go quite high on the helicopter because I want to understand where the organization actually is. So, so usually I go quite strategically uh, first. So I want to really understand the vision. I want to understand exactly where are the market, the trends, uh, depending on the industry you're in. So, so it's really about understanding this particular company, 
and how they actually fit to what is going on in their market and the trends going on there. So you kind of know if they're behind or in front or they are where they're supposed to be, for instance, which I think is really, really important. Um, and then what I also usually go into is, is the, the whole customer need thing, because uh, at least that's what I believe in. I, I, I'm pretty sure you as a product manager kind of see the same because I, I think it's it's very important. You as a company are customer centric. It doesn't really matter if you build the world's best product or service or whatever, if it doesn't fit your customers. Right. Uh, so so that's kind of a baseline. So you really need to understand, you know, how how do you navigate in terms of your customer needs? Um, and especially also the unmet needs, because that's an area that I see quite often that you have companies that they, they think that they are serving the customers, but there's a lot of unmet needs because they haven't really spent enough time really figuring out, you know, what is it that we are solving? Is, is, is it the most important problem from our customers' point of view that we are actually solving here? Are we lacking stuff here? So, so that could be one angle. Um, and then another thing that I also often see is that as you were saying before, the companies see this as a project. I would rather see this as a way of working, as a way of living as an organization, because what I want to implement is actually a constant way of being in transformation, being innovative. You know, it, it should be something that you're just uh, working on daily. It shouldn't be a project that you're doing from A to B. It's a constant living organism. I think I think that's that that's very very well said because when we part of this podcast is about arming people for success not just for today or tomorrow not just for the things you've planned but the things you haven't planned mm -hmm. something that's right but I wanted to go back to something you said because I I think many businesses are guilty of a sin and that is they talk about transformation and if you said to them are you doing this for the customer they would nod enthusiastically but they're really doing it for themselves. So, and 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 I I wonder if you've come across this where people accidentally use the language that reveals we need to do a thing. Wait, what do you mean we need to do a thing? That's nothing to do with the customer. Oh no no no! But when we do that, the customer will benefit. It it's almost this sort of. It's so easy to lose track of is this for a customer and is this driving not necessarily for a customer? Is this driving a positive customer outcome? that in turn has an impact on the business. I think it's people exactly. want to make an impact on the business and the customer wins possibly as opposed to the other way around. Fully agree. Oh, this is a good one as well. But fully, fully, fully agree on that one. Uh, I, I usually see that. And especially when you go deeper down, you, you've probably also seen that quite many times when you are in a product uh, development process. Then, for instance, let's say legal comes in or there's a risk perspective or there's some internal processes or there's a system. Uh, and then you, you very, very easily use sort of lose track on the customer's perspective. And then it starts getting internal and saying, oh, we can't do that even though we know this particular way of, of uh, the funnel or the process, it needs to be this way to really cater for the customer. Then there's a legal perspective or there's a risk thing or there's a system or what something else popping up there. And then people immediately go the other way around and then say, oh, we can't do that because that we have tried that, blah, 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 you know, and then it just the, goes on. The, the outcome optimized for the business rather than the exactly, outcome optimized for the customer. Exactly, exactly. Get and it's really hurtful, right? But it's really interesting. So, so what exactly I do in those situations is that it's the language and it's the way of working. So, so there's a lot of this, for instance, design thinking that you need to implement into your teams. So you constantly have the customer in your perspective. So whenever there's a disagreement in the team that's working with this thing, then you always go back and like, okay, we might disagree here, but what would the customer need for us in this particular case? Or what would they cater, you know, want? You always go back to that. And then you can start discussing, okay, maybe we have a system that is hard to go around in this particular case, or, but how do we then solve this issue? So we still make it as good as possible for the customer, you know? So you have a different dialogue around solving the problems. There was we we did something once uh, in a, in a business I worked in where they they got some quotes from a customer they blew them up into a massive sign and they put them on the wall. But I, as you were talking about that, this is the kind of foolish thing I would do. Now I'm a bit more senior. Is get a full full sized cardboard cutout of someone who is the customer and put them in every blooming meeting 
because Definitely. you make the point it's for them it's not for anyone else it's for them G gareth we've 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 been getting excitable about transformation and i can totally understand this isn't relevant to the world of the military because well, right the military does the same thing <laughs> it's done for the last 300 years right no <laughs> transformation in the military yeah government. absolutely uh well I, i've literally sort of every time i was sort of thinking of a question to ask you you kind of jumped in and asked the, the question in a, in a far more articulate way than i would but I was just thinking about the analogy of business transformation to, to military transformation. Of course, that's exactly what this podcast is all about. And one of the fascinating things I see about the military and military decision-making is the difference between internal transformation when the business of the military whichever bit of it is whether it's the army or the navy or you know, at a joint level their inability to transform in exactly the same way that you see these problems in the, in the corporate world where it becomes focused as you say on we need to do this rather than the outcomes that we need to achieve in comparison to the way that militaries do operational planning where everything is driven around the, or certainly in Western militaries, this idea of effects-based planning. So everything you do is based around what is it you're trying to change in the operating environment. So commanders don't tell people what to do. We've talked about the mission command thing before. They tell people what to achieve, what effect to have on the environment, and what effect to have on the opposition, the enemy, what effect to have on the local population, what effect to have on the ground. and that drives a wholly different way of thinking about utilizing your organization because you're driven around what am i trying to achieve and that and it's brilliant and when you see it working you you see the ideal use of capability in complex situations achieving strategic goals and then they go back to sort of using military budgets to develop capability over the next five or ten years and they fall into all the same traps again. Of so, what is it we're trying to do? But but and this is I, I really want to poke on this because I hadn't made I hadn't made that connection you just said, which is the military doing operational planning. If you took out the word operational planning, there are people like Pia and myself who would say we want that. We want that. We want the focus on the outcome. We want focus on effect. We want mission command. We want all these good things. So. Uh, we could we should steal that but then clearly that's not quite enough because what you've just said is and now the same people as it were move into an office and are told we now need to purchase a new artillery system or yeah. a new it system and and arguably they fail miserably and, and by the way i think i don't think this is classified because this is now 25 years out of date i remember joining the royal navy and staggered to find out that the internal network was based on windows 3.1 or 311 when everyone else was on windows xp and you're like what's going on here so yeah, what why why is there such a failure to apply the same principles notionally in the same way well i i think that's a, a really complex question that we could do a whole podcast on. um but ultimately it comes down to culture and it comes down to the fact that we spend all of our time training to do operations. And there is a difference between combat operations and campaigning and changing the environment of a crisis somewhere else in the world and big procurement projects to buy aircraft carriers or radio systems or, or whatever it is. And so we are set up to do things in a different way. Um, and we don't apply the the logic of complex problem solving when we're doing corporate management, and we don't really know how to do that. And and it it brings me back to to you, Peter. I, I really wanted to sort of explore this idea of bringing in an external perspective. And as you said, you're not coming in and telling people you know what to do because they're the experts in in their field, but you're you're coming in as an external view on what's happening and potentially exposing 
where culturally that organization has become i don't know internally fixated on certain aspects of, of what it whatever it is they're doing we did a an episode last week on the role of chaplains in the second world war one of the things that chaplains had was no formal command of soldiers in the organization and as a result they were free to talk to commanders to talk to soldiers at all these different levels without it being loaded without there being any kind of hidden agenda and they also could then be this external sounding board and advisor to commanders which allowed commanders to see things in a completely different way and we talked about whether there was a gap in the commercial world for exactly that and it strikes me that actually that is the role of an external coach or mentor change agent um, and that you're potentially filling that role quite nicely. Yeah, and I think also what happens in, in, in what we were just explaining there is that you're actually keeping the autonomy in the organization there, right? And then what you often also see is that those who are sort of on the ground, who's really working with whatever you're doing, they are the specialists. They really know how things are working. They know all the details. And that's actually what you need on sea level, right? You need to understand uh, what's going on on detailed level to take the right decisions. Because what I often see is that sea level sitting up here and they have a certain view on what's going on or they might, as we were talking about before, like have a certain view on how their customers are looking like or the markets, whatever, but they don't necessarily know all the details. That's there, they really know the specialist. And if you have an organization where it's, it's not free floating information between those levels, it's really hard for a C-level to actually understand what's going on. And then you can very easily take a wrong decision because you don't necessarily understand that if you take the decision over here, that it might actually be something different that is the real problem and that's that's actually some of the stuff that i spent quite much time also facilitating that there's much more free free floating information going on but on the different levels i want to see if i can use slightly different language and see if this still yeah. is a, 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 what you mean yeah. you said that the sea level doesn't quite understand what's going on and you talked about free better flow of information to make sure they do yeah is it is it fair to say that sometimes the sea levels have convinced themselves they already know the information. Do, do you think there's a risk sometimes that good people convince themselves they already have all the answers and yes. close off that opportunity to say, maybe I've got it wrong? Exactly. And what also happens is that when you're then sitting in a management team, you can also easily talk to yourself about, yeah, we actually know we are, we're kind of, it's kind of a lemony effect, right? So you have a bunch of people then sitting there and then agreeing with yourself that we got this covered, right? We know where we are going with this. So we understand this particular thing, right? So, so it even gets stronger because you are more people like kind of trying to convince yourself around this particular Thing. So, so yeah, I see that. I see that a lot. Uh, so, so I, I definitely go the other way around, uh, trying to actually embrace that. You can definitely show that there's stuff you don't necessarily know or you need help. So, the better you are at actually using your experts in your organization to really make them try to listen in, uh, be curious, uh, is a very, very important tool. I would say as a manager uh, trying to lead your company, and also listening to the customers. So, as you were saying before putting a, a stick on with, with the customer saying, you know, I would even say, you know, go out and listen, talk to the customers, be part of it, they go through the funnel, understand your business from a customer perspective, understand your business from a, from your internal perspectives as well, you know, sit down in a, in a department and, and, you know, understand for a day what's going on here, what are their problems, what are their issues, what are they talking about? I am I am as guilty as the next level C level person, yeah. but I I we, I was in a, I was in a business where in the weekly management meeting every week a C level one of the members of the C team had to report back on a customer conversation yeah. that they'd had. Yeah, and exactly. I and and at one level it was like oh I've got to go and speak to a customer I'm really busy, <laughs> but at another level it was a really really good habit, and and in fact that that particular business every week one member of the C-suite had to have spoken to a customer report back and another member had to have spoken to a member of the team that didn't work for them and report back. And I thought that was a really healthy way of, to your point, keeping, keeping, that, uh, keeping that conversation going. 
I think on this podcast, we talk a lot about leadership and the role of leaders and how you get better at leadership. And, and I've said several times that I think both in the military and in the corporate world, we kind of get a bit fixated on this idea of leadership and we stop thinking about the wider organizational culture. And I've said before, you, know, you cannot concentrate on leadership if you don't understand what you're leading. And it strikes me that this role that change agents fulfill is allowing leaders to have a better understanding of what it is they're, they're leading, the organization, without the change agent being the leader themselves. And I was, I was listening to an interview with Anthony Joshua, the heavyweight boxer, UK heavyweight boxer. And he was asked the question, you know, in your team, you know, you're, the, you're the athlete, you're the boxer, um, you've got you know a coach, you've got sparring partners, you've got a manager, you've got an accountant, you've got the whole team around you. Who's the leader? And he very, very quickly, without without any equivocation at all, said, I'm the leader because I'm the person that goes out into the ring and fights. Nobody does that for me. But there are lots and lots of people around me who coach, who mentor, who manage. And I can't lead, I can't do what I need to do without the information that they provide. And it struck me listening to that, how we quite often conflate the term management and leadership, and we get those things confused. And I think what we're talking about in terms of the almost resistance to that external voice comes from a feeling that leaders need to know everything and should know everything and therefore asking for additional voices, asking for additional information is seen as a sign of weakness when of course it's not. And from a military analogy again, I'm thinking about, you know, very, very simplistic and very tactical level. What some of the, the most effective coaching and mentoring that takes place is when you're on a rifle range. And it doesn't matter whether you're a new recruit and you are only just learning the principles of marksmanship and sort of firing for the first time, or whether you're a 20-year veteran sniper who is an expert marksman and know exactly what you're doing. When you're lying on the point, looking through the side, down at, at the target, you don't have the broader perspective on what you're doing. The person standing behind you who's watching you shoot, whether they're a better shot or a worse shot than you, can see what you're doing. And so one of the things that happens on a, on a rifle point, on a range, is there's always somebody watching you shoot at the end of your shooting. You'll turn to them and they'll say, how did that feel? You'll tell them how you think it went. And then you'll get your results. You'll get your target back and see how you've done. And then they'll talk through what your position was, how you were shooting, how the wind changed while you were shooting, and all of that external information. And that makes you a better shot. And that strikes me as exactly what you're doing, Pierre, for a C-suite. So you're not going in and, you know, pointing out people's mistakes or training people how to be a better C-suite executive. You're going in and giving them information that allows them to be better at what they do. Yeah, exactly. And you can even do that in teams uh, as well. So we, we are playing around with exactly what you're describing there. You can also do that in teams. So you kind of buddy up and support each other. So if there is a person who in the team who wants to be better at a certain thing, then you can make this master teaching where you actually have a buddy going in and supporting you. And I, I would say that when you do that, your, your level of expertise rise very rapidly because you have a supportive environment where you know you can always lean back, you can ask questions, you not necessarily know all the details, but you, you are definitely going forward because you feel that you have somebody in your back if, if you doesn't know, you know, at some point where, where you're going, you can always turn back and then ask for help. So, so that makes people move way faster ahead. And I think looking at an organization today where there's so much change going on, having employees in your organization that really thrives in this and wants to learn and feel comfortable in being in this space of constantly learning new skills, new stuff, I think is really, really important. And I think it's, it's, it's actually something 
that you as an organization can also use as a positive thing of your growing because you will be in front of the, your competitors if you are actually good at advancing within this area because in the end it's all about people we've we've gently moved on to a, a tran, away from transformation onto something that we wanted to talk about as well coaching and mentoring in and in yeah. different ways so i tell you what why don't we take a quick break and why don't we carry on and, and gareth i'm pretty sure you wanted to ask a question so we'll take a break build some narrative tension and then you can ask your question Welcome back. Uh, well, hopefully we built some narrative tension there. We 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 sort of got onto the subject of coaching and mentoring or partnership. The ability, you know, Gareth's example was uh, on a firing range. There is someone there to give you context, to give you information that helps you continue to improve. But Gareth, I think you're about to ask a question, which I frankly just stomped all over to get us to the break. <laughs> so my experience of working at the C-suite level as an as a external consultant is you are constantly butting up against a sort of tension between senior executives feeling that they have to present themselves as strong leaders versus the desperate need for that wider perspective, breaking those groupthinks, creating the the psychological safety, as you said, to to have those discussions about where collectively the team can develop. There's lots and lots of tension in the in the need to present yourself as a strong leader versus the humility required to accept external information and accept that you don't always know what's going on. How do you, when you first go into an organisation, deal with that and how do you kind of engender the humility that's required when to get to that level of of an organization you know, quite often having a strong character and dare i say it, a strong ego comes with the territory hmm. what what i usually do is that i ask uh, if i'm allowed to go around and speak to people so i would like to kind of do my little own research so usually i go around and talk to people in different levels of the organization. I'm also very curious about the customer perspective. So I al always also try to ask, are they actually, you know, proactively uh, sort of evolving their, their customers in whatever they're doing? What happens then is that um, when you then have the facts on the table, then it's easier to discuss, you know, whether your perspective is right or wrong, whereas if you're just going in and then discussing, you know, this is this is how you feel, you can't really change how a person is feeling, right? That that's that's their view, that's their feeling. You have to respect that. So it's more about trying to give different perspectives. So they kind of are forced to look from different angles to their issue or problem. Uh, and then, of course, it's all about trust uh, as well. Of course, you need to build that trust so they, so you kind of go to that point because, of course, it can be hurtful sometimes to admit that maybe you are not sitting with the full picture here. Uh, and people, of course, react differently to that. But it's then easier for an external to come in and actually say that, whereas if you're in the management team or you're a specialist in the organization, then it's usually harder to come with that kind of truth, right? They can be mad at me or they can be frustrated or whatever. I don't have to be in the organization afterwards, right? Yeah. But I think, yeah. I think, I think you've outlined, though, there's a bit of a conundrum there, though, Gareth, which is the people who already are humble or open are going to be the people that say, come and tell me what I'm missing. It's the people that need it the most are the ones who say, I don't need that. And I rather, rather so I, I think that's the challenge is sort of, if you're yeah. the person that says, well, that's great, but I don't need that. And we, we had an example a month or so ago where we were talking about a real world case where the leader in question said, I realize these things would normally be true, but this isn't relevant to me because I am favorite Chris word special i'm doing air quotes here people can't see but i i rather than just leave it as there's this conundrum i think it's about the language you use to position it 
really what we're saying is how do you get the people who aren't already attuned to your ideas or open to your ideas, how do you unlock them and make them open? And what I found is you need to be really thoughtful about what is the language that they will will resonate with them. Because if you say, I've been here years, I know I'm right. They're like, well, no, I know I'm right. So I win, goodbye, not useful. But I thought your analogy, Gareth, about the firing range, I could imagine there will be a number of probably male, probably there's, there's, there's probably even a stereotype there, who if you explained that to them, something would go click in their head and they would say, oh, I agree. Who will be my spotter for me? I'm I'm struck here with we had a previous guest, Natalia, who uses graphic art as a medium for getting senior executives and teams to work better together. And what she does is use something that people are quite, I think, comfortable saying, Oh, I'm not very good at art. Yeah, I think if unless you're an artist. It's it's not it's nothing. There's nothing shameful in saying, "Oh, I'm terrible at drawing," and so using that as a way of breaking down those egos, so that people can show a little bit of vulnerability before you then start talking about where there are inconsistencies with people's perspectives and and those sorts of things. So I think I'm I'm fascinated by the fact that you you start to explore the organisation rather than the individuals as your starting approach. One of the things that I, I'm particularly interested in though is the difference between what you do as a transformation consultant versus what a traditional management consultant would do. We're not gonna necessarily mention any organization here, but a lot of the problems we sort of talked about in terms of egos, in terms of not wanting to show that we're vulnerable, I think some of the biggest organizations where I've seen those problems are management consultancies themselves. So is, could you talk about the different approach that you would take as opposed to a traditional, again, air quotes, management consultant? I've been in, in the business myself. I've been sitting in the tier for quite many years. So, so I think from, from that, I come with another perspective because I know how it feels like sitting in that tier of this C-level person. And then... I would say that I use a lot of the empathy part. So it's, so it's actually really about understanding that person you, that sits in front of you and trying to understand the pain points. And then it's exactly as you were saying before, it's not about pinpointing failures or you're not good at or whatever. It's actually trying to, to, to make that person see that you're actually trying to build both the organization and that person stronger so they can kind of see the value in it. So, so um, I would say that I have a very different approach. It's not necessarily a lot of tools either. I see the, um, the consultancies, they usually have a lot of templates and tools and stuff that they, but it's actually meeting people and, and trying to understand and being curious uh, and it's the wordings and it's analysis of spending time really investigating on, the, on, on an organizational level. I have friends who are management consultants uh, who, <laughs> who may even be listening to this. Is it that management consultancy gives you the answer? And what you do, Pierre, as we've talked about, is you don't give them the answer. You're enabling people to come up with the answer themselves. That might be overly simplistic, but yeah. it, it, it feels like the I want teams to be able to solve their own problems. And in the example we've given of the, the shooting range, what are the tools I need to hit the target? And one of those tools is a good rifle. One of those tools is a person standing next to me and I'm the person with the finger on the trigger. So I, I, I think that that works really well. I, I wanted to shift the conversation about coaching and mentoring a little bit as well. I think this is another one of those underserved areas in business where you would imagine throughout your career, in fact, I know this to be true because I've been there. As you go through your career, at every level, if you said, would it be useful to get advice from someone who has done it before and have, you know, a coach or a mentor? And the answer would be unreservedly yes. In fact, I would have senior leaders who would tell me you need a mentor. And then, and I'm, I'm slightly exaggerating, magically when you reach the C-suite, oh, I don't need a mentor or a coach anymore. I'm on the C-suite. I, 
I've passed the test. I am now the cleverest person. I don't need it. Why is it, do you think, that there is this strange, once you reach this level, the idea that you would have a coach or a mentor is, and I'm not going to say never true, far more unusual. If I was president or whatever the senior person in the country was, I would demand every CEO, every member of a C-suite has a mentor or a coach to support them, to give them that context, to be that safe space. Why is this more prevalent? Yeah, that's a good, that's a really good question because I follow you here. I think the same. I think that no matter what spot you are at, you, you always benefit from having a person going outside and giving you different perspectives. And it's kind of your safe space, right? As we were also discussing before. And I think everybody needs that. Uh, they need a safe space uh, for somebody to to kind of discuss uh, with. But I think I think maybe it's going back to to the failure part that you kind of feel that okay now I'm on this certain level this position so I'm supposed to have all the answers so I'm supposed to be the one guiding everybody else and it's it's kind of ooh, I feel weak or I don't feel strong enough if I go out and say I don't necessarily know exactly how we're gonna do this. But from my perspective, I think it's it's stronger leadership to actually acknowledge that there's areas I know I know we need to go in this direction. I can see that things are changing. So we as a company need to move in this direction, but I don't necessarily know exactly how to do that. So I also need to uh, sort of get help from my organization. So I think if you are daring as a C-level to actually go out there and have your whole organization also supporting you, on this particular thing, it's it's really strong, actually. Well, I mean, I, I know this is something that you do with C-suite people. So th- there was a little bit of method to the madness of my question. I also mm. want, so I, I think, you know, the, the, the being open and mm. not fearing it is important. But I also exactly. wonder whether there's an element of, I don't know what it means. And so therefore, I don't know that I want it. So in other words, there there will be people listening here. And and by the way, we'll come back to this in a second, which is, I think coaching and mentoring is underserved, not just at the sea level, but throughout someone's career, it's highly valuable. Can can you talk me through, you know, I've phoned you up and said, hey, can I can I engage you? And can you come and help me as a as a coach or a mentor? Can you talk about the kinds of how do you make that work? What actually happens? Do you do yeah. you t- turn up on day one? Do I have to lie down on a couch, tell you my fears? <laughs> do I have to tell you the three decisions I've made this week and you critique them? What actually does it mean for you to be a coach and a mentor? And let's let's start at the sea level. Yeah. And I would say that often it's actually not necessarily that they start by asking coaching, uh, like they want a mentor or coach, but it's more like they are struggling with some kind of issue in the organization or they are having some strategic issue that they don't necessarily know how to solve. That's often where we start. And then along the way, they, they also figure out, hey, maybe it's not so bad to actually have a person coming in with me and then supporting me also in my own journey of trying to get this right. So so it's usually the other way around that I comes in and then then the coaching part is, is often something that kind of comes along the way because people start realizing, hey, there's actually a person here who can give me different perspectives and can actually teach me, you know, how to be in this because uh, just as everybody else, um, you as a C-level or as a CEO, there's so much going on. You can't, you can't necessarily know everything and, and you have to, you know, adapt so fast to everything going on. So having a person who kind of helps you navigate a bit on where to actually focus and what should we that now been doing, what, what is the most important thing right now for us to do is kind of nice uh, to have that uh, as, as a lean on partner. You talked earlier, Bear, about the the fact that when you go into organizations what you're trying to do is get people to think and behave differently mm-hmm. rather than just solve a specific problem and i think you said yes yeah, rather than going from a to b what you want to do is change the culture of the organization so that they accept that there is this continual growth this continual exactly. change um, and i that resonates absolutely with what I try to do with organizations in terms of allowing them to make better use of the information that is available to them to make better decisions. Because you know, whilst technology continually changes, our behavior around technology also continually changes. And that's the people in the organization, that's the customers that we're trying to you know, serve. And 
it strikes me that this is always a connections between technology, people, and process. How much of this is about getting people to, rather than, as Chris said, come in and, you know, with a template and you know, change, give them the right answer about how they should do management. How much of this is shifting, not just individual mindsets, but collectively cultural adaptation to a new way of thinking and a new way of working? Lots to do with the cultural part as well. So I think it's the whole organization. And that that's actually what I think is really interesting because I think also these self-managing teams actually and that working with each individual in an organization is, is really important. So for me, it's definitely not just about working with the C-levels or the, the middle layer uh, leaders here. It's the whole organization that is interesting. And I think the more you can actually understand that each person in organization needs to have the right tools to kind of thrive and change, then you are very far uh, sort of in in actually uh, thriving in 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 the new world of business, uh, I would say, because if you are there, then everybody kind of are able to navigate around things, and there's an open dialogue, just as you were explaining before. If you have that bottom up, where where people are starting to also give ideas, you know, explore things, uh, experiment things like that, then you have a very different uh, organization. And I believe uh, myself that this is this is uh, the way forward. So of course you have a constant thing of your normal product or what you already have, like your your ongoing business. Of course, that needs to have a smooth way of going. And here you can also optimize. Maybe there's a new process that needs to be fine-tuned or there's a new system that needs to go in. But alongside this, you also need the transformational part of your organization to, to drive. And that's why the, the whole experimental part should be there as well. So you kind of need uh, both ecosystems to be in your organization to really, you know, make sure that you're also uh, thriving in the future. Uh, and that's why I think it's interesting to to kind of work with each individual to to give those tools to to everybody. Uh, and that has a lot to do with the teams and, and not just the C-levels, but also if there's middle layer managers, it's just as important that they understand this and feel that they're comfortable in this change. Because what I often see also is that you have the C-levels, they come with a new strategy or new things they want to implement, right? And then yeah. the whole middle layer, they're kind of stuck in between because they don't necessarily bought into this. They don't necessarily fully get the strategy even. And then they have to teach that uh, or deliver that to the levels behind them, you know, beneath them as well. So, so there's a lot of stuff going on uh, in that layer. And you can even question whether all these people need to be there. You said something that really resonated with me, which was about the people stuck in the middle. And I think mm. this is such a difficult thing where a, an executive team says, we must do a thing. And yeah. then they brief their managers and say, we must do a thing, go make it happen. And then they go away and they see the executive team says, fantastic, they've all got it. And then on Monday morning, the person doing the work on the coalface turns to their manager and says, why? Why are we doing yeah. this? And there's that moment where either the manager says, I understand, let me explain it to you in words that, that work for you. Or unfortunately, more often than you might imagine, well, I don't know, I was just told by my, my leadership. And we, we, we many, many episodes ago, Gareth talked about, there's a model by which the army gives orders. And, and it, it gives an enormous amount of time for the orders to cascade down from the top down to the troops. And I think it's something which frequently businesses think they do enough of, but never quite manage. Yeah, that has to do with the, the, actually our way of thinking and taking decisions. We as people are also very lazy. So if you don't necessarily fully get something or you don't really buy into it, then you don't necessarily want to change. And even though you do buy into it and you still want to change, it doesn't mean that it's happening anyway. So it's actually really also understanding that if you want some change to happen, it needs to be really, really easy for those person who needs to do it to actually take it in and change it. Because otherwise it's just going to be momentarily something you do and then you go back again so so and there shouldn't be too much of it either because that's also something i see a lot that you try to implement a lot of different things but it's not doable because there's just too much on the plate right what you are now trying to do is just an extra thing that you're putting on 
on the already to the big to-do list, right? So if you as a management team really want your transformation to happen, you actually need to work with Slack. So you need to make sure that you are removing stuff away that people actually have the Slack, just as you were saying now with the army, that there's time to actually reflect, take it in, understand, figuring out how to work with this, do this. That's that's a basic thing. So this Slack is really, really important. And I think I think this factor of time is massively underestimated and often it's, exactly. it's sort of seemingly opposite. And I, I can't tell you how many times I've heard we have to move fast. And you say, yes, I, I, that is an outcome, but would you like to move fast and fail or slightly slower and succeed? And we've, we've, I, I'm definitely going to get a t-shirt made. This is a military term. Slow is smooth and smooth is fast. Is that right, Gareth? That is entirely right. I'm, I'm going to let you off as well earlier for saying that. I said oh, the army. Yeah. I knew, I knew. Well, I was using it as a generic military term, but I, I, yeah, I've done same. that twice now. <laughs> this is the second podcast where you've, where you've caught me on that. strike and you're out. But going back to the thing about time, though, I think I think that is something that businesses really underestimate. And and here's yeah. my here's my example for whenever we do these podcasts, I'm always thinking there's someone here who thinks that's a great point, but it doesn't, it's not me. I'm not the person they're talking to. And so for this one, it is um, this idea that when you come up with a, a business level transformation, often this is something an executive team or whatever the leadership team is, has been thinking about for months and months. They go home. They think about it over a cup of tea. They they wake up on a Sunday morning to think about it. And over time, they evolve this understanding of what they have to do, why they have to do it, and how they have to do it. Fantastic. And then in a half an hour meeting, they expect people to somehow absorb and go on this journey. It's this magic answer. I just have to tell you the answer. You just, if, if I just give you the answer, you don't need to spend the months getting there. And I see this as a as a frequent problem. It's like, you don't understand. If I'd have told you on day two of your journey, we were going to do this, you would have rejected it. You'd have said, you don't understand it. Why should our teams be any different? And I'm not implying every time you want to transform, you have to spend four months convincing the organization. I'm just saying you need to be thoughtful. How long did it take the people who decided on the transformation to get there? Please don't assume it's going to take your team a 30 minute, really glamorous slide presentation for them to understand, buy into it, own it, make it their own and be able to go down this road of mission command that we've talked about. And maybe also ask them the question of, you know, why wouldn't they take it in? So, so I don't see that a lot, actually. So when you are exactly in that moment, uh, sitting there with your strategy, what you should ask yourself as one of the first questions also is, you know, if we are then trying now to implement this into our organization, what would then actually make people not want to take it in, you know, to really understand the different side of the perspective. So again, as we were talking about before, this is your audience, this is your audience taking this in, you know, how would they see this? So, so you as a manager should actually really ask yourself that question upfront. You know, what would be the pain points? How would it be as a person in the organization to actually take that in? What would it actually take for that person to start working like this, taking it in so you understand the pains? Maybe it's a new system. Maybe it's new capabilities they need to build. Maybe they have a lot to do already. They are, they are on a project that is really important to them. You have told them that this is your key focus. This is what you need to do for us to grow as a company. And now you're coming and saying that they also need to take in this new change alongside that they're working on this. So where, where should my focus go? How, do, how should I prioritize? What is my prioritization number one and two? Manager, when you're sitting with that transformation, you need to ask yourself those questions. There's a whole, there's a whole lot of stuff that we've been sort of talking about here in terms of communication you've talked about the the time it takes to get the thinking and the logic behind the decisions to filter through the organization but peer about 10 minutes ago you also talked about the need for experimentation and learning and of course by its nature if you're experimenting you don't know what the results are going to be and therefore, there has to be an acceptance. And I think this comes back to your point here about having slack in the system. There has to be an acceptance that some of the things you do aren't going to work. 
that's absolutely fine because we experimented and we've learned from it but uh, you're only going to learn from it if you share those results which i think when the when the board evolves the strategy if they evolve the strategy by sitting in a dark room and bouncing ideas off each other and packing post-it notes around then you're falling foul of that group thing you're not accepting new information if you're as an organization doing experimentation and you've got the feedback to say this worked this didn't work and that information is going into the board and that is evolving the strategy then not only is your strategy evolving based on a learning environment you're learning from testing that external environment but also very very clear to explain the logic of how your decision making has changed and in the first half of this podcast i sort of talked about the the two different cultures of the military the organizational culture of the military on operations where we do effects-based planning effects-based operations and we're quite good at adapting and evolving because we accept there is uncertainty, we accept there is risk, and it's what we train for. And then there is the organizational culture of the military in a corporate business world where they're trying to procure and buy new equipment, and we utterly fail because we don't experiment, we don't take risk. We we try and plan out 20-year projects with set budgets. We try and move fast because for some reason we think fast is winning, and we don't receive new information we get into these group think cycles and and there are you know right across nato lots and lots of examples of terrible military procurement projects mm. they're probably some of the worst project management stories out there are, are government and military projects that sort of paradox of effects-based planning being part of our culture but then not applying it i think comes back to everything we've been saying about you've got to have good feedback you've got to have the feed the trust that the feedback can also be the information that says we tried and it didn't work rather than everything always being look how good my team is and that requires trust and it requires a, a collective understanding across the organization as to why you're mm. doing but but actually what you are saying there as well is also to understand how people actually work how well our brains actually work because a lot of what you are explaining there has actually to do with, with us believing that we can do much more than we are actually capable of yeah. that yeah. even though you know that maybe we have done this kind of project before we still believe that ah oh, we can be fast and we can still do it in these three weeks even though last time we know that we were delayed by two months or something like that right so we have as people in general we have a tendency of overestimating how much we can actually do in a short period of time. Yeah. And then there's another interesting thing I, I see happening quite often when it comes to, especially management teams, when you're like discussing things, and that is this um, sort of confirmation bias, as we have also been discussing, that we kind of think that we are the one with the right answers to, to kind of everything. It's really hard to take in a different perspective, something that is very opposite of our belief. We kind of have this confirmation bias. And then we also have this sunk cost thing, which is also quite interesting, that you might have spent a lot of money, a lot of time uh, trying to build this strategy, right? And then suddenly you realize, oh, maybe this is not how, how we, we, we should work with this. Uh, we have already, already spent so much time, so much money on this. So it's really painful to stop it, right? Well, you know, as I as I listen to this, the part of me says, oh, this is really, really hard. This is really difficult. <laughs> and there's another bit of it that says, Pia, I think you might be having years ahead of you of helping organizations navigate through this. Well, look, Pia, thank you so much for joining us today. You know, we've, we've, we've talked a lot about transformation. We talked about coaching and mentoring. And then I think towards the end, we went on a bit of a rant about some of the challenges that we see. You've also helped us because I've written down three more episodes that we can talk about things as well. So, I, so that's really good. So Pia, look, I, I, hope, I hope you've enjoyed the conversation. While I don't think we necessarily come up with the simple blueprint for running your business well or leading well, actually it's the act of, of taking time to talk about these things and exploring ideas and exchanging. And for us, that's the gift of having guests like you on, which is different perspectives, different topics, 
touching on these same areas time and time again from different angles. So Pia, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, perhaps if people want to learn a bit more about you, Pia, perhaps you can tell us how they can get in touch with you or they can learn more about you. Yeah, definitely. And thank you so much. It was really a pleasure talking to you guys. I think we had some really, really good uh, explorations of, of this very important uh, topic. But yeah, if people want to reach me, they can they can catch me either on my LinkedIn, Pia Vendelbo, or they can also go to my website, uh, which is ScandinavianChangeAgents.com. Fantastic. Thank you. Yeah. Pia, thank you very much for joining us. Gareth, good to speak to you in in Ontario. For those of you listening, we've, we're on uh, the application formerly known as Twitter, Battling with Biz with a Z. Please contact us there. Or you can email us with your ideas, abuse or suggestions on battlingwithbusiness at gmail.com. But for now, thank you very much for joining us. Thanks to Pia. Thanks to Gareth. And we'll see you next time on Battling with Business. Yeah, thank you, Pia. And uh, yeah, goodbye from me. Cheerio. Thank you.